What's up, guys? This is PC, and this is your backstage pass to the Green Room Podcast Series. What's up, guys? This is PC, and you're listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. Our guest today is Bradley Skinner, who serves as a theater director at Green River High School in Wyoming. Bradley, how's it going today, man? So good. Glad to be here with you. I'm excited, man. Like, you've been on my list of people I've wanted to talk to, and it's just one of those things where it was like getting the timing down. I know how busy you are with, with the plays <laughs> and the productions and all that good stuff, so I'm super, super well, excited. You. Yeah, I'm excited this worked out, man. And so, uh, pop quiz. Start out here. Just okay. to, and these are some things that I'm super curious about as well, and we talked a little bit about this before we came on the air here, but your favorite theater production? Ooh, uh, that's tough. I'd have to say favorite one that I've choreographed would be Grease just because it's always classic. Favorite one to watch, I still love Wicked. Uh, favorite one that I want to direct, Spitfire Grill. Uh, favorite one I want to choreograph, definitely has got to be Newsies. Um, but I guess if I say whatever my favorite actual production is, it's whatever one I'm currently working on. Gotcha. I love that, man. Very cool. Who is the best dancing musician today? Ooh, uh, that's a tough one. I would say... More of my style is definitely Justin Timberlake, but I think the, I still think the big win. Is, I got to go with Chris Brown. Right. Uh, he just he's an amazing performer, incredible dancer. You can't go wrong with either one of those guys, though. Yeah, they're both awesome. Best concert you've ever seen? Ooh, favorite concert's got to go to uh, Train. Uh, I went to to them last year. My wife and I were celebrating our 19th anniversary. And so we went to the train concert, uh, being also I teach English, so Pat Monahan is a poet and wordsmith, and I love the wordplay that he puts in his music. Uh, but as for best, simply for nostalgia, and they put on an awesome show, I'm going to still stick with New Kids on the Block. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. I love it. I love it. So did you see them in their prime, or you saw them recently like on a reunion tour? Both. Both. There you go. That's even better. That's even better. And you talked about 19 years, so you're getting ready to celebrate 20 years with your wife. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. I, I am. Yep, 20 years this, this July. So That's so we're, cool. We're pretty excited about it. I love it. And as you should be. That's so big time, man. Um, your favorite movie? Ooh, man. Again, let's see. Uh, I might have to break that up into categories. Okay. Uh, favorite, favorite romance, Casablanca, followed in a short second by Somewhere in Time. Uh, favorite comedy, Some Like It Hot. Uh, favorite action-adventure, uh, third installment of The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. But overall, I'd say still my favorite movie of all time, early Christopher Nolan film, Memento. Just captured, just absolutely just amazed me of what he created for that film. Classic. How often do you go to the movies? Oh, since I got Movie Pass, my wife and I go at least once, uh, sometimes twice a week. There you go. I figured. That's awesome, man. <laughs> Last question. If you weren't a teacher, you would be a what? You know, probably uh, an, an administrator. I had an opportunity to, to do one year. I worked as an assistant principal, but I also spent a lot of time with my uh, administrative internships on the elementary level. Even though I don't think I could ever personally teach elementary school, I loved the elementary vibe when I got to be an administrator there. If, that, if not that, then I'd probably still be working somewhere uh, in professional theater in some capacity. Very cool, man. And so, yeah, you're talking about administration and being a teacher. Expand a little bit more on the history, you know, your personal history in education, why you became a teacher, and then you've been doing this for 16, 17 years now. Kind of detail a little bit of your journey there. 
Well, originally, uh, I started, uh, my schooling was in, in theater, uh, acting and directing. I loved performing. I loved being on stage. I worked professional theater at the Utah Shakespeare Festival for a couple of years. Uh, and then, really, everything changed uh, because of my wife. Uh, when, when Melissa and I got talking about marriage, um, my whole viewpoint changed. Uh, I didn't want to be away from her, and professional theater had me traveling. I was moving. I was around. And uh, I didn't want to be anywhere without her. And then I realized I could do education, still do what I loved, have that passion for theater, but I could then share that with others in a new way rather than just on stage. I could actually share it with the kids who then they would be on stage. And I found more joy and happiness that way than I had simply from hearing the applause for myself. Uh, so I taught three years in southern Utah, um, went back for a year for professional theater, uh, then I moved up to northern Utah, taught there for eight years, uh, teaching theater. Uh, then I also got my uh, master's degree in English instruction, started teaching some English classes as well. Uh, was, then I decided, you know, maybe administration was where I wanted to go. I took, uh, I left education from the classroom, went back to school uh, to work on my administrative license. Uh, really missed the classroom a lot. Uh, ended up going for a year and teaching in Nevada and absolutely loved it. Some some incredible kids that I met that I was able to work with. Uh, I taught in a very small high school. I was Round Mountain High School with about about 80 kids in the entire school, but it was incredible. Uh, and, and it really reinstilled that fire that I had for teaching. Uh, then a credible opportunity came up and I moved to Wyoming and taught for three years at Rock Springs High School. And then this job came open at Green River High School to be the theater director. And it was uh, it was too good to pass up, and so I've been now I'm almost at the end of my first year back uh, teaching theater again. That's awesome, man. And so as a theater teacher, like talk a little bit about what that role entails, and then also some of the productions you guys have done this year. Okay, uh, first off, what it entails mainly is, of course, it's, it's education. Uh, everything I try to do, I'm I'm picking shows. I'm uh, casting. I'm, I'm trying to do what's going to be the best for the students to. Uh, yeah, putting on a great show is great. I mean, I understand you want to have, you want to sell tickets, you want to put people in the seats, but it's still about education. So I try to pick the show that's going to be the best for that year to try to make sure that these kids are learning, that they're gaining the skills they need to, in, in one case, hopefully to go on to the next level. I have a lot of students that are going on to college in theater. But if I have students that aren't, the skills that they're learning in my classes are going to benefit them in whatever career that they're doing. They're learning teamwork. They're learning public speaking. Um, they're, they're learning so much that's going to help them in any career that they pick. Uh, so some of the basic things that we do is uh, technical theater. They're learning hair, makeup, costume design, makeup design, set construction, acting. Uh, they're learning about uh, character choices, personal decisions that they're making, uh, trying to be... Uh, in the moment and following their objectives. Uh, but then we also get into the advertising, marketing. Uh, there's so much that goes into it, and it's it, it's just it's fun. It's fun, and I love it. And when I was hired, the discussion primarily was that as long as you're doing two shows a year, that's kind of the average, you know, theater teacher in a lot of ways they're doing it. You're kind of your, your fall show and then your big musical. And in Wyoming, they tend to be in, in the spring. Uh, so this year we uh, have one more show coming up here uh, in June, a dinner theater show we're doing, and that'll actually mark our seventh play of the year. 
That's incredible. So we, we got after it. I think, you know, it's like any skill. You've got to have time to practice it. So if students want to do theater, you've got to give them opportunities to perform. So I didn't think that two shows was enough, so we, we did uh, two one-act plays. We did a fall show, a mystery, you know, haunted story at, at Halloween. We did a Christmas play. Uh, we did our musical. We did a, a play then with uh, elementary school kids. And then we've got uh, this other one coming up here soon. So, yeah, we've, we've been busy and, uh, and having fun. Never a dull moment, man. That's like the epitome of never a dull moment. Oh, my gosh. That's it's, crazy. It's true. It's, it's fun, and it, it gives kids the opportunities that they need. For sure, for sure. And so we were talking about earlier, you said that the one that you just wrapped up was School of Rock and that you were your biggest concern was finding that lead guitar player that could sing and play and do all those things. And so absolutely, part of your role is you have to find those hidden talents and abilities in kids that a lot of times they don't even know that they have. And so what, exactly. what advice would you give to a teacher that maybe doesn't teach theater of how can we uncover those talents these so many of our kids are blessed with that oftentimes we don't even see them and then bring those out into the classroom and use those to establish those meaningful relationships? I think one of the first and most important things is, is to listen. The kids are going to say things. They're going to mention something. Maybe it's even in an essay that they write, but there's something there that they're writing about, that they're talking about, that they're passionate about and if we just gloss over that because it's not part of our curriculum or it's not what we're interested in we're missing that uh, one of one of my best success stories uh, that i had was there was a student who wasn't the most motivated um, he didn't really want to do a lot of work in my tech theater class but he wanted to work on motorcycles that's that's what he did he wanted to work on motorcycles and he didn't want to do anything else so i said all right i'll make you a deal you work on a motorcycle for me out so I can put it in the show and that'll cover the work that you're gonna to need to do and then covers what we need it because it's gonna be in our show and he's like really are you, are, you, are you for real I was like yeah so we had him you know work on on some some mechanic stuff so we could put it into a play and and he did and later on you know with that that passion it just it kept going and he kept doing it and then he ended up going to school to be a motorcycle mechanic and now that's what he's working for his career and it's it's just one of those things that I, you know, not listened to some of the comments that he made earlier about motorcycles or, or, you know, saw that, you know, he had some motorcycle patches and stuff on his backpack. But there's always something there that the kids are trying to tell us. It's are we willing to listen? And, and in theater, that happens all the time because we're trying always to look for what, what are the kids' skill sets? You know, who, who's going to be my singers? Who's my musicians? Uh, who are my seamstresses? Who can do hair and makeup? You know, but in the normal classroom, they're still there, they may just be a little more subdued and we might have to just pay a little closer attention to find it. That's so cool. That's like the perfect answer. I love that. Just listen. Like that's exactly right, man. I love it. I love it. So as a fine arts class, um, sometimes it can be challenging to fill, you know, to fill your rosters. You know, everybody's got to take their English and their math and, and those good things. But so as a fine arts teacher, what do you do to recruit kids and help make sure that your rosters are full every year? There's always going to be that group of students who want to take theater or whatever their, their elective class is. There are those that just want to be there. Um, that doesn't mean that's always enough. Uh, so I do. I do a lot of recruiting. Uh, sometimes it's just casual conversations in the hallway. Hey, I've got a part that you'd be awesome. I'd love to have you in my class. You can come and audition for this role. I want to help you out with that. Um, but, you know, a lot of the other times, big part of it is just me being me. I put myself out there. I'm... I'm participating in rallies and assemblies. I'll, I'll, I'll do dances and karaoke and whatever it may be. 
to just say, hey, look, yeah, it's okay to be willing to put yourself out there. And what some people may see, oh, that's going to be embarrassing. But for me, it's not. And I think as they see that you can put yourself out there, you can make those big moments and have fun with it and be passionate about it. And then all of a sudden it takes away some of that stigma of, oh, I don't want to embarrass myself or I don't want to make a fool of myself. It's like, well, wait a second. Look what Skinner just did. Can't be that bad. You know what? I bet I could do that too. Yeah. And, you know, and I do. I end up recruiting a lot of kids simply by, uh, by just really just being me and being willing to, you know, to put yourself out there. Yep. I love that, man. And so that's just like last summer at JRNC, we're sitting there doing karaoke. And next thing I know, you're up there, you're rapping, doing Eminem, I think it was, and like just having a big time, man. And that's like you said, that's what it's all about, though, is putting yourself out there and taking those risks and taking those chances and letting your kids know that it's okay to take risks. Because if they see you right. doing it, like you said, they're going to think that it's okay, too. And so we talked about a safe environment is always important. That's, and letting them yes. know that uh, I think one of the things that I've really kind of driven home this year with my students has been, I mean, we, we teach, you know, there's all these differences, you know, there's differences in, in math, there's differences in the words that we use in English. But one of the things I don't think we focus a lot is that there's a major difference between failing and failure. And I've tried to really focus that with my students that failing's okay. Failing's a part of life. I, I fail all the time and I fail with relish. And I love it because I'm learning from it. But it's when you stop trying and you give up, that's when it becomes failure. And as long as they, they see, hey, it's okay to fail. It's all right. You know, I, make, I made a choice. It didn't work so well. I'm going to learn from it and do better. And that safe environment brings, I think, a lot of kids into theater that they're willing to try things that they probably wouldn't before to put themselves out there and to learn from it and improve. So true, man. So true. And so you're a new teacher at this school here this year, and you've been a new teacher at different schools multiple times now. So like you're a great person to answer this question. What is it like being the new teacher on campus? And then what advice would you give to administrators and other educators to help make that transition easier for other educators that are new to a building? You know, this, this is a tough one. And I think because I, even though I've done it a lot, doesn't mean I'm great at it. I've, I've failed in some ways. Um, because I've been new, sometimes I, 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 and I put myself out there and I, I'm doing things. I love to help with the culture and climate, but it doesn't mean it works for everybody. And sometimes, you know, unfortunately, uh, I've come off as being overbearing or brass or too bold. Uh, and of course, that's not what I'm going for. I'm just, that's just who I am. That's how I educate students. Uh, I'm not trying to I never put anybody down. I never say anyone should do what I do. I'm, I'm a very extroverted person when it comes to the way that I teach. And if someone's more introverted, I certainly wouldn't want them to think that I'm trying to say that what I do is what they should do because it, it's not. They do what works for them. Um, but sometimes I think I, I've, I've maybe pushed things a little too far uh, as being the new guy. And, and some people have seen that as being – you know, maybe, maybe they have been a little offended by it of like, whoa, who's this new guy? Who's he think he, he is? What's he trying to change everything for? And, uh, and, and so I, I think I've had to learn that there's, there's a balance that exists. Um, and one of the things I think that could help with that balance that would help with administrators is doing some, uh, doing some simple things, simple activities at the beginning of the school year. Uh, really get your new teachers to know what the culture and climate is of the school, who the educators are. Have a back-to-school barbecue and let them get to know who the new, the new guy on the block is. Uh, I think that's, that's an important thing because 
if we get to know each other on a more casual level outside of school, it makes what we're doing in the school easier to accomplish. And that way, the new teachers come in, they know what the culture and climate is, they know what the expectations are, and they're going to have an easier time fitting into it and helping improve it rather than ever feeling like they're fighting against it or running too far ahead of it. I love that, man. One of the things that you're super passionate about is gamification. And that totally like fascinates my mind every time I see you. <laughs> and I see you tweet about it and talk about it and everything. Because, you know, I'm just like everybody else. I grew up playing video games and doing all that stuff uh -huh. all the time. But I, like the gamification, how do you bring that into the classroom? Talk a little bit about that, how you use it, what it means. Like how could another teacher get started with gamification in their classroom? Okay. So simply put, gamification, simply the application of game design elements and gaming principles being used in non-gaming context. So uh, think of it as employing game design elements, strategies, or activities to improve user engagement, organizational productivity, or student learning. Um, one of the simple common questions that I ask when t teachers first say, like, I don't understand, what's gamification? I say, okay, where do you, for out here in the West, you know, it works for us because I can say, uh, where, do you, where do you go shopping? And they'll, you know, oh, I, I shop at Smith's. Okay, why do you shop at Smith's? Is it the most convenient? Is it the closest one? Is it, you know, the best products? And they're like, well, it's because I get fuel points. Okay, so you're getting something for something that you're already going to do. That's a gamification strategy right there. Elementary school teachers are amazing at gamification. They just often don't realize they're doing it. They're, they're clip-up charts for behavioral. You know, kids are doing well, they clip up. Kids are not behaving well, they clip down. That's the same thing as the leaderboard on Donkey Kong. When you were a kid and you're trying to be that high score, it's a visual representation. That's a gamification strategy. Uh, stickers, buttons, pins for doing good things. You're receiving something for your work. It's being, you're receiving that credit. Uh, you know, we, we look at games like World of Warcraft. When that was in its heyday, World of Warcraft at its max point was if you took the number of players that were playing it at its peak, would have been the ninth largest country on the planet because of the number of users. It was, it was incredible. And the reason being is because they were immediately validated for the work they were doing. Typically situation, a kid writes a paper, they turn it in. The only validation they have is when they get it back and there's a grade on it. Well, gamification allows us to do more. The kid starts writing the paper. Okay, they might earn a couple of you know, digital points for whatever game that I'm trying to instill, and they, they get a couple points for it because they started the paper. When they complete it, they get some more points. They turn it in on time. That's a behavior that I want to instill in my students. I want stuff turned in on time, so I give them some more points. Then they get their grade, and the quality of that goes into a different type of, of game point that they receive because it's part of their grades. So they're validated for every single thing they do. So gamification works so well, especially as a behavioral tool, because we're taking what are the things in your classroom that you specifically want to improve. That's what you reward. And if there's something that you want to steer away from, then there can be negative consequences. But put into a gaming context just allows the students that it's no longer Mr. Skinner's the bad guy. It's, not, it's now the game has limited what they can and can't do. So it's the game that's doing it, not me. So it changes the mentality, it improves behavior, and it just increases and instills this motivation for students to succeed in a way that they hadn't before. And that's why, that's why I love it. It's, it's fun for me. I'm actually teaching a, a workshop uh, in a couple weeks coming up about gamification. Uh, and it's, 
it's just fun. There's so much to it, but that's kind of just the, yeah, the yeah, surface yeah. of what gamification is in the classroom. I love that. And if you make it to the conference this summer, like you've totally got to do one of those sessions. Like, because I would love to cool. check that out. That would be big time. Awesome. I would. That would be big time. So another one of your passions is dancing. And so I've seen some, yeah. of, your, some of your videos and stuff that you posted online. And I'm just like, <laughs> I wish I could move like that. Like, oh my gosh, man, you crush it, dude. And so how did that come about? And then how do you use that as a resource and a tool in your classroom? Okay, great question. Well, first it started, I was, I was hip-hop dancing and break dancing as a kid when I lived in Southern California. Uh, lived in an area of about 3 million people, and then my dad got a new job, and I moved to rural Utah with a town of about 3,000. And I learned at that time, uh, Utah didn't know what hip-hop music was. Uh, <laughs> they had a different style of dancing called clogging. <laughs> I... I didn't know what clogging was. I had never heard of it. I thought it was just, you know, something that bad happens to the toilet. Um, so uh, I signed up for a dance class because the first few friends that I made, uh, they they took this clogging dance class. So I, I went and it did not go well. After the first class, the teacher pulled me aside and said, your parents do not have enough money nor do I have enough time to teach you how to dance. And being young, this was still long before I think I understood the, the idiosyncrasies of verbal irony, sarcasm, and tongue-in-cheek humor. I, I don't think she was meaning to be hurtful. I think she was making a joke. But being a kid, that came off and just crushed me. It was devastating. So I learned two important lessons from that, though. First, I learned never be the person to crush another individual's dreams. Uh, but second, I also learned to never let another individual determine your level of success. So I said, yeah, I might be bad at this type of dancing, but it doesn't mean I'm a bad dancer. So I kept working. I kept dancing, uh, throughout high school. I, I even started taking more dance classes. I still kept hip hop dancing and learning more, more choreography. I started going to other cities and stuff to learn because there wasn't a big market for it where I lived. Um, I even started taking ballet, and I performed in ballets throughout high school. My senior year, I joined the cheer team, and, uh, and again, more skills there. And then things really changed when I got to college. I kept taking some dance classes, but then I ended up joining the ballroom dance team. And in college, I competed on the ballroom dance collegiate circuit for three years. I met some incredible friends, worked with incredible choreographers, met some amazing people, that really helped improve uh, my dancing. Uh, since then, I've uh, choreographed for numerous, numerous uh, musicals, productions, um, pageants. I've been the, uh, the coach and the director for three different high school ballroom dance teams and lots of routines, local studios I've choreographed with and helped out. Um, and really one of the coolest things this last year, I actually had the opportunity to choreograph the the hip hop dance routine for Green River High School. And that performance they actually took to the state competition and placed third in their event. And also another reason why that was so special was that my two oldest daughters are on that dance team. And so I was able to choreograph a routine for them and their teammates. Uh, and it was pretty awesome. That's so cool, man. I love that. So, so back to the question about how that helps, uh, really one of the biggest ones is it really helps in recruiting young men. Um, I always, most programs usually tend to have more females than they do males in their theater programs. 
But when they see that they're going to be dancing and the, chore the, the choreography is being done by a male, more guys seem to buy into that. Um, I also get numerous athletes that have taken dance classes from me to help them with their skills. I've had football players, basketball players, baseball players that come and take dance classes from me because of the footwork that they're learning, how it helps them with those skills that then transition directly onto uh, the field or the court. Um, and also, I get to put together some really fun routines for rallies and stuff, and it just hypes up the crowd and blows the roof off the gym. So that's been a lot of fun, too. No doubt, man. And that transitions perfectly into this next question about student voice. And that's a buzzword all over this country right now. And so having worked in multiple schools, you've got all these different perspectives on how schools work and all that good stuff. What are the keys to making sure that students have a voice on campus? Great question. Uh, I, I think I've looked at this in two different ways. Originally, I always thought that it should be a top-down viewpoint, that it's got to be your, your, your superintendent and your school board. They have to listen, and then your principals are going to then, oh, I need to listen, and you know, all the way down. And the teachers are seeing those examples, and the teachers are saying, hey, we need to listen too and make sure the kids have that voice. But I, I think I've been changing that view a little bit more. I think it, it, it really starts with the teachers because they're the ones that are hearing the kids on the daily basis. And providing students, social media is a great way. If uh, you know, one, one of my mentors, uh, Darren Peppard, always, always taught me that if, if your school doesn't have a social media page, guess what? You have a social media page. You just don't control it. And the kids are all talking about it whether you want to or not. And so they're using that voice. Are you giving them a, a creative and positive solution to share that voice or is it just out there in you know, the, the internet world of just people talking and you don't know what's going on? So focusing, having, giving kids opportunities to share and talk on your social media pages, to talk about what they're interested in. I think we saw a huge impact of that recently with schools talking about needing a change for school safety and sharing that voice and not just sharing it, but doing something about it and letting people know that their voices are being heard. And I think that's important. Uh, I think, you know, the, the teachers are listening and they're being able to give that feedback directly to their administration to let them know this is what's important to our students today. This is what they're interested in. This is what they care about. This is what they would like to see happening in their building. And if we're not sharing that voice, if the students don't feel like they can share it, we're really missing out on a great opportunity to build the culture and climate of a school to make it a positive and universal aspect for everybody to feel like they're they're part of it, they're welcomed and they're wanted. I love like that's exactly right, man. And you hit it like right on the head because like you said, the teachers, that's the front line. And we're in there every single day with those kids. And so yeah, we have to serve as the liaison between the kids and the administration or the superintendents and those types of things. And that's a big responsibility for us to take on, you know? It is. One of the things, and we talked about social media just now, and I love that because you're very active on social media. You post a lot on there. And one of the things you talk about a lot is use the hashtag road to awesome. And so talk <laughs> yep. about what that means to you personally and what traveling on that road entails. Okay. Well, I, I love this story because it just was such a spontaneous and natural thing that happened. Uh, as we were nearing the end of my first school year here in Wyoming, my principal and mentor, Darren Peppard, as I just mentioned, he, he that's when he first told me about the Jocelyn's Renaissance National Conference, which was dedicated to helping teachers, administrators, and students improve their school culture and climate. And it sounded exciting. I, I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to know if I was invited so I could go and learn. 
And then Darren informed me that he wasn't just inviting me to go. He actually wanted me to co-present with him at the conference. Uh, needless to say, it, I, I was thrilled at the opportunity. I, I was blown away by it. That's a lot of faith and trust that he was putting in me, especially being a new teacher to his school. Um, but I, I was up for the challenge. So as we started preparing for our presentation, we watched a video from Kid President. Uh, where in the video he actually read a, a quote from the Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken. Uh, and he posed the question, says, what if there really were two paths? I want to be on the one that leads to awesome. And in that moment, that phrase just struck us both. We both turned and looked at each other, and instantly we knew that we had found our presentation. We found our hashtag. We, we really, we found our mantra. And life's all about choices, and we choose to be continually moving on the road to awesome, and we hope to pick up as many hitchhikers as possible. And that's really what it's been for us is – the, the road to awesome is, are, are we headed in the right direction? Are we doing what's right for our school? Are we doing what's best for kids? And are we making conscious choices to keep us on that path to that, that destination of being the best version of ourselves, the best version of our school that we can be? Isn't it funny how you can just be watching something or just riding down the road and all of a sudden something just clicks with you? like that kid president mm -hmm. video. Like, it's it so sure cool. Like, and, and I love that because like I run every day and I'm watching videos and listening to songs and stuff. And sometimes somebody will say something and it just clicks just like that. So I absolutely love that story <laughs> and that connection that you guys made. And so uh, obviously you're, you're passionate about education. You're constantly engaged and always like to say that the legends never make it, meaning that it's always about what's next. It's never about what I did yesterday, or what I've accomplished. Mm -hmm. It's always about what's the next challenge and what's the next step. And so as an educator, talk about your plans coming up. We're almost a summer break now. What are your plans for this summer to continue to grow and to learn as an educator? Well, first thing I have is I've got the, the Y-Tech Conference. It's a Wyoming Technical Education Conference uh, up here in Wyoming. And I'm going to be presenting on gamification there. And uh, again, just hopefully to be able to share that and get some new teachers learning more about some fun strategies that they can do and and helping them out. So uh, presenting is a big part. I like, I like presenting, but I also love attending conferences just so I, I can learn. I'm going to be taking a group of students in June to the International Thespian Festival. Uh, it's held every year in Lincoln, Nebraska. So uh, shout out to Mike Smith and all the guys there at Lincoln. Um, so looking forward to that. And uh, it's just a week-long, in-depth training of, of theater. So my kids are going to be able to learn a great deal from seeing some plays, from learning from uh, directors and choreographers and artisans from all across the country on the craft that they love. And then, of course, there's the Justin Renaissance National Conference in July. Uh, again, really, I'm, I'm working uh, with, with my current principal, and we're looking at starting the Renaissance program here uh, at Green River High School. And they're already doing some incredible things that I'm excited to be able to talk about and then find out how we can help instill that even more. Uh, of course, the the only hang-up with, with that one is it is our 20th anniversary, and the Jocelyn's Renaissance Conference is during our anniversary. So it means if I come to the conference, I've got to also bring my wife with me. Uh, but you know what? I figured uh, it's a, a what, what a great place to, to celebrate, though. Um, she actually finished up her master's degree in elementary education and is uh, looking to be an elementary teacher. So it would be a great opportunity for her as well to be able to learn some great things that she could do in her classroom and helping just build that culture and climate. So really excited uh, about uh, some of the opportunities we have this summer. No doubt. That is so cool, man. And like you said, what better place to celebrate than at JRNC? And then you can go to Disney World too, right? 
Exactly. Uh, and I think that might be the selling point that I can use for her. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You, you can't go wrong with Disney, man. Well, Bradley, dude, I love your energy and your passion. And like you said it here just a second ago, you do what's best for kids. And if every single educator on the planet had that mindset, like just think about how powerful, how much more powerful, you know, our schools and our education could could be, you know. And so I just want to say thanks, man. Thanks for everything that you do. Thanks for being a guest here on the show today, man. And I hope to see you again soon here in July, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. Guys, you've been listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a big favor and subscribe to the podcast and then go share it with an educator that you think might enjoy it as well. Chase your dreams, kids.